everybody, and welcome to another podcast from the Scheduling Institute. My name is Doug. I'm a clinical trainer and also a dental hygienist. I am here with Melanie and Lindsay, who are also clinical trainers and dental hygienists as well. Say hello, guys. Hi, guys. This is Melanie. Today, we're really excited to share this content with you today. Hey, teams. It's Lindsay. Super excited to be working with you guys today, giving you some updates and some information. And of course, love working with my coworkers, Melanie and Doug. I'm super excited. That's going to be a great day. So today, guys, we are going to talk about entrepreneurs, more specifically, all of us hygienists and how we can also become entrepreneurs ourselves. Now, first of all, let's take the definition of an entrepreneur. According to the dictionary, it is... A person who organizes and operates a business taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. So some of you might be thinking, I'm not the owner doctor, I'm just an employee. As you know, at the Scheduling Institute, we are not employees. We don't think you are as well. We are team members. But specifically today, we're going to talk about how we actually are entrepreneurs as hygienists. The concept of being an entrepreneur has changed. We now tend to see entrepreneurs as people who think in very specific ways. You know, if there was an entrepreneur club today, you'd most likely get a membership card based upon how you think about things rather than what you do for a living. All right. So let's just start this thing off and talk about some different ways that we're going to incorporate hygienists as entrepreneurs. One of the ways that we can think about having an entrepreneur mindset, one of the things that first comes to my mind is really taking the chance to always recognize opportunities and embrace challenges. Um, so this means always kind of think outside of the box, testing new ideas, taking risks. This requires courage and the ability to keep going despite rejection and skepticism. Um, we always need to be committed to our vision regardless of challenges and obstacles that come up along the way. So Doug, Lindsay, do you guys, can you think of any ways that you applied this mindset when you were practicing? I think for me, one of the hardest parts was actually recognizing that we are a department and a portion of the overall business. And I never once thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I was really thinking what's on my route slip, what's on my schedule for that day, and that I was structured and stuck to that. Instead of really thinking, I can. it's okay to make a mistake, it's okay to look for opportunities to grow, um, and I should find ways to present that and be confident to show other team members in the practice that you're working in how I can bring other things outside of just scaling teeth all day to the table. And I just, I really didn't take advantage at that time. And now with having the opportunity to work for Scheduling Institute for so long, I've recognized that in a new way and a different mindset for sure. Yeah. And Lindsay, I'm right along with you. I never thought of myself as a producer per se. I never once thought I can take my hygiene team and get it working as its own, like its own entity per se. Before I never really thought of our department as having their own vision, right? We were just part of the office as a whole. So I think some of the most exceptional hygiene teams that I've had the opportunity to work with have their own vision statement and they're all working towards that together. I think that's been a really powerful thing that I've seen affect teams in a positive way. I love that idea too, Melanie. I think that's huge to really know what's your vision, what's your mission, why do you get up and do what you do every day, and what makes you want to be a part of the team that you're on and the practice as a whole. So, you know, thinking about the opportunities and challenges and recognizing that. Another area is to really start thinking about, are you comfortable with risk? And I know personally for me, this is probably the thing that I wasn't good at. 
um, really stepping out of my comfort zone and thinking about what is the area of focus, what are the resources, how can I invest more time in that ideas that I had inside my head that I was way too afraid of to actually write them out and show them to anyone else on the team. And I just think that's such a mistake to be stuck in your comfort zone all day instead of really pushing yourself to become what you really want to be, which I think is really hard. What do you, what do you guys think, Melanie and Doug, about this area? So I, being comfortable with risk, I really like that statement because I think anything that we do that requires us to grow is really challenging, right? And so I think part of the comfort with risk is being uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think when we go in and talk to teams and roll out some new ideas or things they haven't been, they haven't been exposed to before, that a lot of times it's uncomfortable. And once teams kind of get these ideas and start rolling with them, the growth that comes on the other side is pretty exceptional. But I think any phase of growth is kind of uncomfortable and it feels risky. So I really like this idea because I think this can be applied clinically, but also in life. So anything that requires growth can be a place where it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's a, like a balancing act because if you wait too long to make that decision, it could pass. Too many people that they, they need all the data and all of it to, before they make their decision. You've got to have some risk in there. And you say, maybe I only know 60%, maybe I know 80%, but get something moving on it. If not, you're just not going to see those changes, right? Yeah, I, I, I love that perspective. I think this is one of the biggest things that I've learned from Scheduling Institute <laughs> is that they're okay with you making a mistake if you learn and you grow from it and it provides an opportunity. And sometimes you make a mistake, like you're saying, Doug, because you feel like you don't have all the data, but you come out on the other side of it so much further along than you would have if you just would have stuck with what you wanted or waited for all the data and then missed that opportunity. Exactly. And you know, one of those ways that we can do that is you got to come and be in a creative type of mindset and you got to innovate. So as hygienists, you got to think, what are our problems that we have and how are we going to fix them? And it's not just enough to go and complain to people about it. Like at Scheduling Institute, if we have a problem, we have to come up with two possible solutions before we even, you know, take it to our, our team lead, just so that they know. I mean, even if they're wrong, just so that they know that we tried to put some effort into it. So what you got to do is think of some unconventional tools and approaches to get to your existing challenges. One thing that we've heard a lot about is hygienists, they'll sit there and say, you know, I wish that we had new Cavitron tips. I wish we had new instruments. And what we've found to work very well is that you come up with basically a business proposal for your doctor. It's a very simple thing to do. Almost all major businesses do it. But think if you came as a hygiene team and you go, we need $1,000 worth of instruments. You would make a business, you'd actually write this up and you'd say, let's do... X amount of sealants. So for example, let's do 200 sealants. If we get 200 sealants, let's see if we can have the doctor agree that we can take $1,000 from those 200 sealants and put or invest back into our program. So you'd write it up and say, okay, if we did 200 sealants at $50 a sealant, that's $10,000. Uh, a sealant more or less is about $8, you know, our cost. So that's $1,600. That minus the $1,000, that's a net profit of $7,000. $600 for the practice. As hygienists, we got our $1,000 instruments, we've paid for the sealants, and we still profited $7,600 for the practice. You present that to the doctor and let them look that over and sign it. 
they're, they're either going to approve it, deny it, or they're going to counter offer. Maybe they say, oh, we need you to do, you know, 300 sealants or 400 sealants, whatever it is. But that way you can have this goal to go towards. And once you know that you hit that 200 sealants, you go ahead and you just buy your thousand dollars worth of instruments. The great thing about this is the doctor knows that it's not coming out of their bottom line. As hygienists, we feel accomplished that, hey, you know what? Our hard work is paying off and we're getting our new instruments. I've seen this work many times in teams and, and we have hygiene teams that literally get anything they want. And you might say, well, my doctor will get it for me anyways. Okay, yeah, they might do that. But wouldn't it be nice to show the initiative and say, look, as producers, we're bringing this to the table. We're paying for our instruments ourselves in a sense. I'm telling you, doctors love this. Doug, I think that's so smart. And for you team members out there listening to this, if math is one of your biggest fears and you're like me and you count one to 32, don't let that be the reason you don't come up with creative solutions or innovation. Go to that person on your team that loves numbers, that's really good with it. They will help you create the business plan that you're working with. Don't always feel like it has to be one person's idea. You can definitely utilize other team members to help you create that plan of action. I really love this being solution oriented. It's one of my favorite characteristics um, because I think sometimes we can get bogged down in the problems. So being able to identify the problem and identify what the solutions are and think about kind of forward thinking, right? Being future oriented on this is the problem this is what happened. So what's the solution so it doesn't happen again? Really kind of thinking of things forward thinking, future oriented, and being able to look at short-term and long-term visions at the same time. I think that's really helpful. And it's another entrepreneurial mindset. So being able to take ownership of the outcomes and focus on achievements and reaching and setting goals. So when we talk about goal setting, we use the acronym SMART. S-M-A-R-T. So the S stands for writing specific goals. So we want our goals to be as specific as possible. The M for having measurable goals. So we want a number of something measurable associated with our goals. And then A for achievable. We want our goals to be achievable and realistic. The R for reasonable. And the T for time sensitive. So we want to have a timeline on our goals as well. So Melanie, back to my example of the ceiling. Does that sealant business proposal plan fit into the SMART goals results? Well, I think that's a great example because we have a specific goal, right? We have something specific that we're aiming for. It's measurable because we can look back and see how many sealants we did last month. It's achievable because we set that goal based on where we were. And it was definitely a stretch from where we were, but we know it's an achievable goal. It's reasonable and we have a timeline. So I think that's a perfect example of using the SMART acronym to set goals. Now, some people might say, well, what is the timeline? The timeline is when you hit the 200 sealants. It doesn't necessarily have to be in two months. The timeline is when you hit 200 sealants. I think it's super important when you mention this too, Melanie, is to look at both the short-term and the long-term visions at the same time. And I know personally, and in a lot of the teams that we coach and work with, we set goals maybe, and sometimes they are great and they are smart goals, but we forget to celebrate the small milestones along the way towards our long-term vision. 
And the purpose of tracking that and looking at these things and having these celebrations is because then it gives you the opportunity to be flexible and adaptable within that goal. If someone is struggling, you practice verbiage with them. If you feel like your goal isn't realistic, maybe you need to set the stage to something different. Maybe you find that you need something outside of the instruments that Doug gave us the example and you actually need a different tool more urgently. So being adaptable to what is the vision at the end or what do we actually need? So I just think that's so important when you're tracking during this and setting those goals and making them smart, then you're more prepared to be able to react quickly to any obstacle that you might face, the setbacks that comes up, and now you can overcome that instead of waiting and standing there and being stuck. You're no longer lost. It's actually giving you the opportunity to keep pushing forward. So Doug and Melanie, why don't you guys tell me some examples that maybe you've personally done when you were working clinically as a hygienist or what you've seen and helped teams do as far as coaching them and preparing them to be able to react quickly to any sort of obstacle or setback they face and allow them to think more along the lines of let's be flexible and adaptable. Well, I think one of the greatest examples of this is offices having a standard of care or um, a standard operating procedure, right? So that way, if something comes up and last minute we have kind of changed directions or pivoted in a different way and say one of your hygienists isn't able to come in that day. If we have to get a temp hygienist in the office, we have the processes and procedures in place to make that a smooth transition, right? So we can hand them our standard of care, um, let them know this is the flow of the hygiene department, this is what we do in this situation. And that way, the person coming into your office that day can kind of hit the ground running. It allows for your office to be really flexible and not have everything be a crisis. We're prepared, being proactive. And that way, when the situation comes up, it's not chaotic, right? So it's a nice, smooth transition. Yeah, Melanie, and you know, when a hygienist calls in sick and you have to call a temp in, I mean, it already starts throwing your day off, but I'll tell you, I worked in Denver for an entire year as a temp hygienist. I worked about five to six days a week doing it. And it was amazing how many offices I'd go into that here I am, I know nothing about their office and they just expected me to succeed. And they're like, well, there's your instruments, go to work. And I'll tell you, those offices, the patients knew that I was the temp. Not only that I was a temp, but now there's a, a dude hygienist, you know, which even throws them off even more usually. But it was great when I'd go into offices. Um, actually, I found out one of these offices is a scheduling institute office, but it was one of them that when I went in, they said, all right, Doug, here's what we do. Here's how you call us. Here's our standard. This is what we expect you to do. And I'll tell you, patients did not know. They were like, wow, he knows exactly how this thing flows. So it sets up the hygienist very well. The other thing that I was thinking of too is, you know, we have to have backup plans for our treatments. Patient comes in needing a profi. Well, guess what? Now they need a localized SRPA. That's the correct treatment. You can't stand there and just like, oh, I, I, I don't know what to do with deer in headlights or, or, you know, you have to take that initiative. You have to say plans of change. I'm going to get up and I'm going to get the right form and I'm going to present this to this patient and we're going to keep going. If you sit there and you don't know where you're going, the patient gets just sitting there not knowing what to do becomes very awkward. You got to be able to take that initiative. You got to be a self-starter. And by doing this, you can reach not only your goals, but you can reach how you're going to come up with these SOPs or your standard operating procedures and meet the challenge head on and know exactly the direction that's going, you know, become a leader in it, know exactly what goes on, you know, who owns it. 
if treatment changes, where do you need to go with this information? So does anyone else have any other thoughts about this? I think as a teamer and when we think about culture, some of the most amazing people to have on your team and the ones that really drive culture in a positive direction are ones that really take initiative, right? And they're the people on your team that you don't have to give a lot of direction to. They kind of take the ball and just run with it. Um, I think a lot of times team members too are also the ones that are really um, gifted to be problem solvers because they don't wait for somebody else to come up with the solution. They really kind of take initiative and drive that themselves. So one of the ways I think that critical thinking and problem solving was to put for a fact over feelings. So really when we're looking at a problem, being able to look at the facts of the way we feel is really important in helping us problem solve, help us think outside of the box. So what's some of the ways um, that we do that? Some of the ways that we see teams do that and some of the ways that we do that at Scheduling Institute. Yeah, Melanie, I love what you said about fact versus feelings. You know, I've been in so many offices where they say, oh, well, our days always fall apart or our patients are always late. And it's like, all right, have you ever tracked it? Have you ever timed how many patients are actually late? Or are you just thinking about the one that was late? You know, so let's put that critical thinking and problem solving to the test based upon facts, which are usually numbers. And, you know, having these facts over the feelings is all about how do you communicate that to each other, too. And most of the people, when you think about that successful person or that really great team member that's driving the culture in your practice or that you want to be more like, is typically really good at communicating that. So if that's not maybe one of your natural strengths, we've given you some examples of ways that you can have better communication, whether that's having your standard of care so you can read a document and physically see what do I need to do, what are the expectations, have your standard operating procedures so you know exactly down to the detail if you're that facts person on what exactly I need to do. Um, and continue to share that information. And one of my favorite things too, I think a lot of us are competitive by nature and having something as far as a scorecard that allows you to see your tracking. Things don't have to be a secret in your hygiene department. It's really sharing with the team and looking at it day to day to know whose strengths are where and then drive that and utilize that from each other to become stronger in something that maybe isn't your natural ability or something that you're most comfortable with. And I just think that's a great way to really utilize yourself as an individual and then come together and have that synergy with the rest of your department and at the same time, hold yourself accountable. And I just think those are such valuable tools that we forget about because we get so locked into what's the next patient on my list today? What am I doing? Is it SRP? Is it Profi? What, what flavor floor I do they like? And we start panicking and it's taking a minute to take a deep breath and look at what do we need to do and what's our focus. So when we talk about synergy being better together, collaborating, I always like to think of when I was practicing clinically, and some of the monotony that you get stuck in, like just thinking about like what Lindsay said, you know, being focused on like, what's your next patient and what you're doing with the next patient and kind of getting stuck in the schedule. And when I think about applying synergy and collaboration to the practice, I think about always looking to grow and taking little bits and pieces from your team members, seeing things they're really, really good at and paying attention to that and being invested in being stronger in areas may not be as strong, right? So if you 
are working towards hitting a goal, say production was, and you're trying to get your acceptance rate up. If you have a hygienist on your team that's killer at that, taking some time and asking her, like, what do you say to help you hit that goal? And a part of the synergy is also accountability. You know, we each have our own thing. And, and you might be sitting there saying, I'm the only hygienist. Or you might be saying, I'm one of eight hygienists. It doesn't matter. You have this accountability that you get to decide. You are a producer. You're a hygienist that you always got to be thinking in forward momentum, forward motion. And what you decide today may not work in a year from now, but it's that continuous journey that you go on and you have to identify the problems. You welcome the challenges and you focus down on what am I going to do with this turn? What am I going to do with this turn? So you learn these new skills, what needs to be done and you know, no excuses. And if you mess up, you accept it. So you got to create some tools. So, you know, in our, one of our trainings called mix of services, we talk about a, a hygiene report card to create value for your patients. So they understand that you just don't clean teeth. You know, there's going to be people that say, well, you've never done that in the past. You know what? This is what we're doing now. We're always learning. So don't focus on the past. Say, what are we doing now? Forward momentum. We're not playing the blame game. Don't throw anybody under the bus from now on. What are we going to do? Let's move forward with taking our hygiene team as an entrepreneur mindset. That's what we got to get to. So I think that's about all the time we have for today for this podcast. So we appreciate you guys tuning in today. And we're just going to leave you with a couple questions. Uh, so Melanie, Lindsay, what questions do you have for that to leave with? So I talked a lot today about really kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. So we challenge you guys to think about all the topics we talked about today, whether that's collaboration, communication, critical thinking, being future-oriented, and how you can take some of these characteristics and apply them to your everyday life, apply them to your hygiene program to help you have more of an entrepreneurial mindset. And I think another key thing to be thinking about too, and I know those of you that have been in some of our clinical trainings or have listened to any of our other podcasts, we always tell you, you are the business within the business and you need to start thinking about what you can focus on and what are those key activities. So I, I would challenge you guys moving forward from today are what are the key activities that you can be working on day to day or even in your downtime to really invest your time in to make your department more successful and really focus on those. Those are great takeaways, guys. Um, so hopefully we'll see you all soon. And Don't stop.